Welcome to the Fatherhood Challenge, a movement to awaken and inspire fathers everywhere to take great pride in their role and to challenge society to understand how important fathers are to the stability and culture of their family's environment. Now, here's your host, Jonathan Guerrero. Greetings, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me. This is going to be a special episode, and what makes it so special is I have my wife right here in front of me. Her name is Shoshana Guerrero. And we are talking about how children change a marriage. This is going to be interesting. So let's stick to tradition and let's start out with a favorite dad joke. So I'm going to change it up a little bit and give you a mom joke. (laughs) Why is a computer so smart? Why? Because it listens to its motherboard. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, just in case you're wondering, I did not know what this dad joke was before before this interview. So I just thought I'd make that clear right off the bat. (laughs) It it wasn't. Okay, so this is going to get kind of interesting in a lot of ways because it might get into some very uncomfortable topics because we're going to be talking about things that are on dad's minds but may not actually be said or communicated, but still just as important. So let's just get to it. The words that so many dads fear for their marriage is to hear the wife say, I'm pregnant. Why is that? Is she really changing? What perceived pending changes to the marriage do dads find so frightening? So from the therapeutic background that I have in family systems, I want to just kind of take a step back. And let's look at the patterns that are already in place in that relationship. Uh, If they're uh, married, if they're partnered, it depends on how long they've been together. Um, It's going to change the relationship. So I want to kind of look at it like, what is it like before the baby comes along? And what is it that's changing? So from that partner perspective, what does the what does their activities look like? How do they spend their time? They spend a lot of their time maybe with work, going to school. They have special events that they might go to. But other than that, there's a lot of time that a couple is able to put into adventures together, fun together, um, being able to have sex when they want to, uh, things like that. I, I think of the movie Yes Day, which is a favorite in our house with two young boys. And in that movie, there is the context that is set up that um, before marriage, the partners said yes to everything. They had fun skydiving and bungee jumping and all of these wild adventures. And when the kids came along, things shifted into no for safety reasons. So that's one of the things that changes and why it can be so frightening, I think, is there's two different directions the relationship can go. The first one being there can be this level of abandonment that the couple feels with that transition into parenting. Um, The mom is really focused on the babies, making sure they're fed, taken care of. You know, she's very emotionally invested in these little ones. And that takes from the dad And I think that there can be that feeling of emotional abandonment. I think the other part of this is 
that mothers kind of intuitively or if not intuitively have like checklists that they can refer to that tell us what makes a good mother. Um, but then when, when I would ask someone, what does a father do? Do you have that same checklist that comes to mind? We have absolutely nothing. And that by itself is very frightening. And I think that just adds to the uncertainty that's already there. So you have the uncertainty of what's going to happen to the marriage. And then you have the uncertainty of how do I do this? As in, if you're a father for the first time, you may be, you're excited. You're all, you're going through all kinds of emotions. You're excited inside. You're happy in one side. On the other side, there is no manual. And that's scary enough as it is. So the other thing I want to cover then is that there's two times or, you know, depending on how many partners, but typically you might look at two times in a person's life when they were to have a relationship with a mother, one being the father's own mother in that relationship. And the second then being when their wife becomes a mother and you don't relate to your wife the same way when she is a mom as you did before she was a mom. She's a different person. The marriage is different. I think what the challenge comes then is that the only other strong maternal relationship some men have had is with their own mom. So we've already mentioned that there isn't like this intuitive knowledge about what it's like to be a dad. There isn't like this checklist you can go through and be like, okay, I've been doing this, this, and this. I'm at least making some effort of, of what a dad does. So instead of growing into that father role, I think men can regress into being independent and being what it was like with their own mother because that was the only other maternal relationship that they've had. So is that just a survival instinct or what is, what is that? What's going on when that happens? I think it's not talked about. I think men don't talk about what it's like to be a father. I don't think that they're comfortable speaking about that um, that transition and what elements went into being that present as a father. And so it leaves men in confusion and they're just trying to reach for the most familiar relationship role that they know. And uh, I know that women can have very specific opinions on taking care of an infant, taking care of a toddler. Um, for myself, I know that I am very opinionated about how to raise children. I think they should be raised in warm, connected environments with lots of adult supervision, knowing that children need that prefrontal cortex present. And so I just have really strong beliefs about how parenting should be. This is something that I've been opinionated on since I was two, three years old. Um, there's a story in our family when my sister, who was younger than I was, uh, we were outside and my mom and my aunt were there chatting. And um, at one point, my mom looked around and was like, where's Shauna? Where's the baby? And my aunt said, well, she said it was too windy and she took the baby into the porch. Um, so I've just always had very strong opinions on what mothering looks like. And so I don't think that there's that internal knowledge of what fathering look, looks like. Neither do I think men talk about it. Like this is what fathering looks like. These are the, these are the things that you do. This is, um, 
how you engage with your children. This is how you provide for your children. This is how you care for your children. I just don't think those same discussions are available for men that are, are available for women. I would agree with that 100%. Uh, I would say that guys definitely have opinions on those things, but uh, we tend to keep those things to ourselves by tradition. One of the goals with this program is to try to get dads not only thinking about these details, but more importantly, to talk about them, uh, not only with each other, but it's good to talk about these things with your spouse. And I don't think those conversations really happen in that way at that level. And I think that probably adds to the anxiety among everything else, including the marriage. I agree. And I do think that there is a maturing into the father role that happens um, and that men need to move from that responding role to being in that they're used to being in a maternal relationship like they typically respond to their mother versus in a marriage or partner relationship where men really need to start to take the initiative to care and protect for their partner and for their children. I think, though, that becomes very complicated in situations where the husband and soon-to-be father experience abandonment from their own mother. And I think that leaves a big hole when it comes to being able to feel free to communicate some of those expectations or some of those thoughts about how the child is going to be raised to ease some of those anxieties. All of it becomes significantly more difficult um, when that is the case. Well, let's also look at what happens when the baby comes, because I think this is triggering for men as well. And that is you have this beautiful little baby and you want to take care of it and you want it to respond to you, smile at you, call for daddy, call dada, like all of those things. And who does baby want when they're born? Exactly. It's always the nurturing aspect. Everything that the baby is craving is all of those needs are typically supplied by the mother. Mom, baby wants mom. And I hear this over and over again. I think we experienced that. Baby wants mom. And so I think it can be triggering for men who have that history of abandonment or that uncertainty of what it means to be a father. And so instead of kind of rolling with a sense of humor with the whole thing, and let's let's be fair, there's it's hard to have a sense of humor on the, the, the sleep deprivation that both people are dealing with. But Babies want mom, and so for at least three months that um, three months past birth, but it's probably up until about six months, they're really all about mom. And so, if you think about that, that's quite a long time to feel triggered, to feel like uh, you're not good enough, to feel like the baby doesn't want you, um, and to uh, have that uncertainty uh, brought up over and over again. And I will say that could be that could not be more true. For me, that was a very, very painful thing, but not something I I would talk about, but it was absolutely there. Uh, you begin to just question and wonder, well, what exactly is my role here? What exactly, if anything, does this baby need from me at the stage? Now, we're discovering now that some of these narratives that we've bought into and believe are absolutely not true, and science actually backs that up. But before understanding all of this, it is not a comfortable place to be when you're realizing and what you're understanding is that 
the baby, what everything that the baby is craving, at least that's how you're seeing it, is all supplied by the mother. And so you feel like you're always a backseat. But are there any other stages of child development that scare dads as well? And why? Um, I What I have noticed is that men kind of tend to settle into their role in parenting in the toddler years, those uh, preschool and elementary years. I think they can find quite a bit of satisfaction in those years. Um, in adolescence, though, um, there is just something about living with an adolescent that can be triggering. Um, they know you, they know your weaknesses, and they have no difficulty in calling them out. And if you have any certain expectations of fathering, such as you will be respectful, you won't, you know, say those things to somebody in authority, um, any rigid expectations around that, adolescence is going to bring you right up against either those feelings of abandonment again, or um, any seeds of rebellion. And so that can really create a lot of turmoil and disruption in a family, which is supposed to be there as adolescents are finding their own identity and exploring their own uh, expression of the family values. I'm going to add another one though, and that is, I don't think many parents are prepared for the launching stage, which it would be about 18 to 25. Um, I, there isn't much information out there for parents, and uh, I've, that has been the other stage where I've seen that it's make or break for marriages, um, and it's a very, very challenging time as the young adult children have opinions now about the parents' relationship, about their siblings, about their siblings' relationships. You are adding in new partners. Um, and sometimes between 20 and 25, you are starting to have new um, children added to the family. It, and anytime you add a baby to a family, it is extremely disruptive. It just changes routines. It changes expectations. It changes um, schedules. It changes your future. There's so many things about a baby that is disruptive. And if you have two or three or four children going through that launching stage back to back to back, it, it can be a lot for a family, a couple to absorb and be able to sustain the relationship and the family. It really sounds like what you're saying and what I'm getting out of this is that if the abandonment issues are not dealt with from the very beginning, they do not go away. They just resurface in different ways and at different times throughout different stages of the marriage and the child's development. Does that sound fair? So I think you bring up a fair point, And that is, if you have relationship or emotional issues to work on, it is best to work on them when they first come up, because you will have multiple opportunities to be confronted with these same issues over and over again. And it gets more intense the older your, your children get. And the other thing is, is then you also start to see the consequences of multi-generational decisions in your own children. And so if you can stop that cycle in your marriage, if you can stop that internal cycle, you're less likely to pass it on to your children and their children your children's relationships. And maybe I even jumped ahead in that because we can probably go back a little bit further and say, it isn't just dealing with it. Dealing with it requires being aware of it. So we have to go all the way back to the very beginning 
of being aware of it. And so what are the signs that you look for? How do you know that this is something that you need to address? So I think anytime when you see conflict, it is an opportunity to, to look at what are my own internal um, experiences that I am bringing to the conflict. Um, that is one. But sometimes with abandonment, there isn't conflict. One partner just checks out. Um, and I think that it requires that conversation of, of being very specific and saying you aren't present. Um, you can't make somebody be present, but you can clarify the, you know, the, the conversation by making those descriptions clear and giving the person that opportunity to respond. So you, every once in a while, you kind of have to be the mirror to that partner for them to see themselves. I think that's part of the role of marriage is sometimes it's fun and sometimes it's exciting and sometimes it's painful and we have difficult seasons that we go through together. And if you can be open to your partner, uh, even if they're saying it in ways that can be difficult to hear, that it can provide an opportunity to make the situation better. There's something that you would always say whenever there was even conflict with us. And I've heard it. I've heard you say it with other couples and I think it's very meaningful. And that is, you would always say we're on the same team. And I think that's extremely powerful to understand when those conversations come up because it's another form of checking in with each other, which is a form of safety for each other. And I look at it as that's why that exists. It isn't about conflict. It is about teamwork. And that may be another way to completely reframe those conversations. So there is less anxiety around them when they need to happen. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm glad you brought that up because it's easy to see our partner in those situations as an enemy. And if we think in terms of high achieving sports teams, they have had to have difficult conversations to be able to work together. Uh, and I think that brings great context to a very small team of two. Um, but there are those same requirements to make it a, a successful parenting team. Teamwork is the key word there. Uh, that's absolutely the way it has to function. So let's go on to the next point. Can you separate some of the myth from the fact or reframe what really happens to marriages when these development stages happen? So I'm going to look at it in the context of like infancy, which we've identified as being really difficult uh, for moms and dads to get on the same page. And then again, at that adolescent and then again at that launching stage. And one of the things is to keep in mind as a child grows, the child becomes more like dad. And I think we can recognize that where the child becomes more like mom. Again, something we recognize or uh, a noted ancestor, like they may have um, behavior traits that were much like your mom or a lot like my mom or dad. And it's triggering. These are things that sometimes they're annoying. Sometimes they're our own weaknesses that we haven't figured out how to address, how we can um, either remove their influence or um, improve on. And now all of a sudden we're not only seeing it in ourselves or not only seeing it in our partner or in their in an extended family member, but now we are seeing it evident in 
a child of ours. It's triggering. It is scary. And this is unavoidable. This isn't just something you're going to get around. This is, this is just simply called epigenetics and it's going, it's going to happen. (laughs) And what do you do with that? I mean, that can be a source of anxiety all by itself. So I like the comment you made earlier about being the mirror. So sometimes our partners are our mirror, but most frequently it's our children who are our mirror because even if our partner brings something up, we're not as likely to want to change for our partner as much as we love them uh, as we are willing to make changes for our children. So if we can consider that the ch- our children are the mirror of our behavior and help us to understand who we are, who our ancestors have been, and how it is evident in our child, I think then we're able to change the environment in a way that it can be helpful to our children. So the guy's mindset, most guys think of it in terms of the switches. And where that analogy doesn't work is because when you flip a switch, the response happens like this. You flip the switch and it's done. Whatever you were seeking, whatever outcome that you were expecting, if you flip the right switch, that is, that's exactly what you're going to get. And when it comes to family relationships, when it comes to the relationships with your kids, it is not about flipping a switch. It's about facilitating the environment for the change and for the outcomes that you're seeking. Does that sound a little more? Yeah, absolutely. You're going to notice it over time. So um, if a plant is struggling, you're going to look at it. Does it need water? Does it need fertilizer? Does it need more sunlight? Does it need more shade? You look at it from the context of its environment. And with parenting, we also look at it from our internal experience or from our partner's experience and like, what did they need? So you need to be having conversations. Like when your child is like you, what did you need? What was the, and it, doesn't always answer every question. So when your child gets old enough to give you feedback, sometimes you have to ask your child, what do you think? What do we need to do differently? And that takes a lot from a parent to be able to take feedback from a child. I remember one day I was having a really rough morning and we finally were getting towards the end of the morning and our oldest looked at me and was like, you're not all that great of a parent today. And I was crushed but he was also right and so it gave me an opportunity to repair that relationship and then try again and because he knows he can give me feedback we've had this conversation several times over the years what a better situation when the plant for lack of a better word can actually tell you what it needs that's fascinating and there's another component to this that i will share that works a lot better for me. And that is learning to lean on each other as a couple. And so when you can communicate with each other, when you get into situations of parenting, especially coming into these stages, when you rock against the stage and it is very, very uncomfortable. And those times when you're feeling that you're out of your element, that is the best time to get with your spouse and to communicate what's going on, the anxiety you may be feeling, or difficult conversation that you need to have and sit down together and run over a game plan together for how you're going to address it. It's a lot easier sometimes to work on these things together as a team than it is to try to figure it out on your own, especially when you're feeling out of your element and out of your comfort zone. Absolutely. If you can have those conversations, it's definitely going to help you work together better. 
So let's go into some other things like such as there are cultural influences that are creating damaging stereotypes about some of these different stages. And what are those and how are they damaging? So first of all, I think you have to look at the fact that um, there is more cultural support for dads in infancy. So that is something that is changing. Um, and I'm ecstatic for that because dads need to, to have those resources to know how they can start to engage from that, those early days. I meant to look a little bit more at adolescent into the young adult years. And there are specific cultural influences that are damaging relationships. Uh, substance use disorder is one. Uh, pornography is another. Um, excessive screen time is another. Um, and the reason why I want to speak specifically to those is because they all fuel the addiction centers in the brain. Um, and we know that children are on screens now, um, probably from toddler on. Um, we also know that because they have access to these screens, that they're more likely to be exposed to pornography starting as young as eight. So we really need to be having those check-ins and to be observing what they are seeing on their screens very early on. With substance use disorder, um, we know that children are aware of or being propositioned to use substances as early as 10 to 12 years of age. Um, so by the time parents are thinking about having those conversations, say 12 to 15 years of age, they've already been propositioned and likely started to use either pornography or substances. And so the parents have long missed that opportunity for early intervention. Um, and then when it comes to work, if you think about it, when these challenging um, life stages happen with children, it's easier to step out and to do something where we feel accomplished and where we're recognized and feel like people appreciate us. And most frequently that's in the work setting because adolescents can be challenging. They can be a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to watch them grow and become who they are, but it's also one of those developmental stages where I've seen overall disengagement from both mothers and fathers from their family. Our time is just about running out, but before we go, I would like to know what challenge do you have for dads listening right now? Okay, so my challenge for dads is to know your strengths. If you know your strengths, you are more confident in what you bring into that parenting relationship with your children. So there's a couple of different approaches you can use. The Myers-Briggs personality uh, assessment is one that I recommend. If you're really into strengths-based, the other one that I would suggest is the Gallup Strengths Finder assessment. That one's going to cost a little bit of money, but I believe is well worth the time and effort to uh, you put into that. And the second thing that I think you need to do is to know your own attachment lens, um, and that is to go to um, the attachment project. But if you know that lens, you have the opportunity to express compassion and what contributed to your own attachment. All of those links um, I'm going to put in the description. So if you go to thefatherhoodchallenge.com, that's thefatherhoodchallenge.com, and you go to this episode and you look in the episode description, the links to these assessments and resources will be in the description. So that wraps up our time. Shauna, thank you so much for being with us. It's been absolutely wonderful to have you here on the program, finally. Thanks for having me. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fatherhood Challenge. If you would like to contact us, listen to other episodes, find any resource mentioned in this program, or find out more information about the Fatherhood Challenge, please visit thefatherhoodchallenge.com. That's thefatherhoodchallenge.com.